You're listening to MHD Off the Record. On this episode, we speak with historians Dr. Jessica Kim and Esperanza Sanchez. Dr. Jessica Kim is an associate professor of history at Cal State Northridge. She specializes in the history of the American West, the U.S.-Mexico borderlands, urban history, as well as public and digital history. Esperanza Sanchez is the associate curator at La Plaza de Cultura y Artes. She holds her Master of Arts in History with a focus of public history and a minor in sociology, both from Cal State Northridge. In 2016, as part of the CSUN Public History Program, Professor Kim, along with her students, including Esperanza at the time, collaborated with El Pueblo de Los Angeles, the USC Huntington Institute on California and the West, as well as the National Parks Conservation Association on an exhibit that emphasized the role of individuals of African descent in the founding of Los Angeles. Enjoy the show. I'm excited to talk to both of you because uh, one of the projects that I've been very committed to as a member of the council is Destination Crenshaw. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why Destination Crenshaw is important to us is, you know, as we deal with the forces of gentrification and, you know, changing neighborhoods, some of the changes are changes that are beyond our control. A lot of the changes are are made by human beings. Uh, The biggest one being the the rolling of the Crenshaw line, which Mm -hmm. will roll from when the Crenshaw line is done, done, you'll be able to get on it at Torrance and take it all the way to West Hollywood without changing trains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously there'll be several places you can get off and take the Gold Line, Santa Monica. You'll be able to take the Purple Line mm-hmm. uh, into Westwood, um, Brentwood, and, to, and the Red Line into the Valley. So you'll be able to get everywhere. But what that means is Crenshaw Boulevard, which is, you know, sort of the last standing holdout of the... Mm-hmm black community in Los Angeles, which, you know, stretched from Olympic Boulevard at the north all the way down to the central part of Long Beach in the 80s. Uh, really now that is the Crenshaw District. So a mile and a half or two on either uh, either east or west of Crenshaw Boulevard is still the only place really where you have consistent census tracts with 70% or more African-American residents. Mm-hmm. So you want to hold that. And so building Destination Crenshaw was really, let's say, okay, let's let's put our story out on the street so people know who we are right. and where we are. But what you find is, you know, outside of the work you all done, which I'm eager to hear about, there isn't a lot written about the history of black folks in L.A. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, it's just there's just not a lot so i I would love to hear sort of how you all came to this work and uh how you decided it was something that that needed to be done and uh how you pursued it well it was actually um el pueblo the monument Ah, folks there and um they wanted to partner with students and do a student-driven the project. importance of monuments. That's yeah. Doing Destination Crenshaw. <laughs> and the yeah. staff there were great. And they said, we have this space in the Pico House. And mm-hmm. and people come to Olvera Street to that spot looking for the roots of L.A. Like, what? how did L.A. become what it is? Like, yeah. where's the center? Um, and then they said, you know, what we've realized is that nobody knows that these founding families were mixed race. Like that's mm-hmm, been, mm-hmm. that's not part of common public conversations. Right, and we right. want, like we have this built in audience because mm-hmm. tourists want to see the center of sure. LA and let's put this story into the center of LA. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I think we ended up having, did they tell us 300,000 people walked through? Yes. 300,000? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so it was up for a month. Yes, yeah, uh, from February 
4th to February 28th um, because El Pueblo does get a lot of people, um, tourists, people that are visiting um, here locally, but also people nationally too. Mm -hmm. um, and like Jessica mentioned, that's something that they want to learn about. Um, and especially because Union Station's across the street, so you have a lot of people who are trespassing through and sometimes they're not even aware that that's uh, where the city officially started with 1781. So it's a, it's a long process. <laughs> Uh, so we have with us today Jessica Kim and Esperanza uh, Sanchez. Uh, both of them are academics who've studied both our city and our people. And so like we do on every podcast, I like to just start with just a real quick, what's your story? Where are you from? How'd you grow up? And, and how'd you land uh, in the place that we're talking about today? Um, so I'm actually from the West Adams district, okay. um, grew up there for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, like, and you're Esperanza just said, uh, Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm Esperanza Sanchez. Uh, I'm an associate curator at the LA Plaza de Cultura y Artes, yeah. uh, which is right across the street from El Pueblo. Yes. Uh, so we, um, let me start with my parents. My parents migrated from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, my dad in the seventies and my mom in the eighties, but we have this long history of our family members coming over um, from the border since the 1920s, um, as far up until Washington even. Wow. But uh, long story short, I grew up in West Adams um, from the 90s to about 2015. So um, I ended up working with Dr. Jessica Kim on this project because I was a graduate student at CSUN. Got it. And I was working full time at the time at the Autry Museum of the American West. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. were interested in expressing this history, but also to do this exhibition um, and it helped me move into my career now that I'm a curator at La Plaza. So West Adams, Hamilton High? Uh, I actually ended up going to Pacific Palisades. Oh, look um, at there. Okay. Yeah. I see, so I see. <laughs> my homeschool should have been uh, Audubon uh -huh. and uh, um, actually Dorsey. Oh, oh that's so, true. Dorsey's close. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the funny thing about that, I grew up in um, between Jefferson and um, what is it called? The other street. It's been a long time. Redondo. Yes. So I ended up finding out that a lot of the street names that I'm familiar with now were named after presidents or yep. um, Mexican governors. Yes. So, a uh, little funny story. That, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. how I kind of got involved in huh, history. Interesting. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a movement. A uh, little bit. It's a very tiny, tiny movement. Some of us feel. Uh, some of us are on the city council. Feel that <laughs> none, of, of none of the, none of the streets south of the ten should be named for slaveholders. So yeah, how can we make that? How can we make that change mm -hmm. happen? Well, you know, changing a street name in LA is really, really hard. Like you have to have eighty percent of the landowners, not even the tenants. The landowners have to sign off on it, uh, which is not impossible. I mean, that's the uh, a lot of people know now who Mark Ridley Thomas is. Mark Ridley Thomas becomes well known as an activist in the early '80s, leading the movement to change Santa Barbara Boulevard to Martin Luther King Boulevard, and they wanted to put Martin Luther King to be parallel to the streets of the presidents because they wanted to be, him to be elevated to that standing. And you know, fast forward forty some odd years later, it's like, well, we don't really need the dead presidents at all, <laughs> especially the ones who were slaveholders. So anyway, that there's you know, Jackie Robinson needs a street uh, in L.A. Biddy Mason needs a street in L.A. I think Charlotte Bass needs a street. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Let's yeah. uh, let's hear from Jessica. <laughs> uh, also, a Southern California native, but I grew up in the Inland Empire. Um, although my dad is an immigrant from Korea, and he landed mm -hmm. in Koreatown in the seventies mm -hmm. when he came, um, and uh, I kind of wanted out of the Inland Empire and into yeah. the big city, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, moved to Los Angeles to start graduate school at UCLA in two thousand. Uh, wow. 
then worked in Koreatown and lived in Koreatown for quite a quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, then went and did a PhD at USC, and now I teach at Cal State Northridge. Wow, wow, very fun. And you all connect at Northridge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, got it, got it. Okay, um, tell us, um, paint a picture for us. Uh, you know, what's the scene uh, when the pobladores come together at what we now know as Alvera Street? So folks know, just in case you don't, and you're from Beijing. And you're listening because everybody in Los Angeles already knows this. Uh, what we now refer to as Alvera Street and the plaza is the place where Los Angeles was founded and the pobladores are the people that founded it. Can you just kind of walk us through that history, what we know about it, what we've learned about it? How much time do you have? I mean, you ask historians, so I would be like, let's start with the Spanish Empire. <laughs> Well, the, well the, just a little bit about the context and, and what we know about the families, because we always hear the stories and, you know, you get something like, oh, the families were in agriculture. Well, OK, that's wonderful. But it's not super descriptive about who we were talking about and how they arrived at that point and decided to set up a town. Yeah. I mean, part of the challenges of the historical record is thin, yes, right? Yes, you know, it's, yes. It's so, um, and and then also part of the historical record isn't here. It's It's in... Mexico, it's I in see. Spain, um, which I mean, the course of putting together this exhibition, I, I had students who were calling archives in Spain. Oh, really? Wow. And requesting maps and requesting permission to reproduce those maps as part of the exhibition. So it was. Rabbit hole question on Spain, because I'm interested to know that you all did this Spain and Mexico, but mainly Spain. So the U.S. has the problem of before 1865, the U.S. Census did not record the names of black people, particularly the names of slaves. They, some northern states recorded African-Americans that lived there. But, you know, and if you were in Louisiana, it wasn't, you know, Jessica Kemp. It was female, this age, this height, and that's it. So you don't have any way of knowing. What, what did you all find when you... Or did you find anything when you went back to Spain in sort of the pre-Civil War era? When you're looking at censuses and trying to see who's who and what's Right, well, so we didn't get to go to Spain. We I mean, not Spain. to go. They called. They're, they're, yeah, what did they say? I mean, I wish we could have gone to Spain. <laughs> you still can. <laughs> um, so actually, we were looking for maps when we were working. Okay. Yeah, so okay. it was, we and which we got. So maps of New Spain, which is now Mexico. Um, maps of trade routes, um, maps that were used by slave traders. Um, so that's what we were looking for mm -hmm. uh, when we contacted those archives. Um, for Los Angeles and the Pobladores, their names were recorded in 1781 when the city is founded. Names, racial, ethnic background, mm -hmm. gender recorded. Uh, and then it's 1790, the same. Mm -hmm. okay, Although so those, those, those change, yeah. 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 yeah, okay. And it's all connected because the Spanish Empire uh, wanted to keep track of their Spanish citizens because they understood that the population that was coming from Mexico up into Los Angeles, they were aware that the Tongva were also here and then there was forced conversion. And so um, it was just a record keeping that the Spanish kept because it was through the churches. It was through um, uh, the ministers, um, excuse me, not ministers, the priests, excuse me. And then even the soldiers sometimes as well with their cataloging. But it all kind of ties back to the system that they were developing with the Costa of kind of keeping a hierarchy of, mm -hmm. of, of the population that and the U.S. did not do. Um, and Costa, to be clear, means caste, right? Mm -hmm. So like a caste system. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess to give a little bit of context just for how Europeans and people of mixed ancestry end up here. Um, you know, Spain had conquered what is now Mexico. Um, 
what's now Los Angeles was kind of the real edge of the Spanish Empire in the mid 18th century. Um, they were worried about imperial rivals, so they didn't have, the Spanish didn't have much of a presence in Southern California. They were concerned about Russians, the French, the English. Um, and, you know, they, the Spanish had explored the coastline, but really hadn't set up any permanent uh, settlements in what's now Southern California. Um, there was a sizable indigenous population prior to Spanish settlements, so mm -hmm. about 10,000 Tongva living in Southern California, um, who had, in, you know, one of the descriptions of Southern California in the mid 18th century is that it was isolated, um, there wasn't a lot of contact, but even if you go back to pre-European contact, like, there were extensive trade routes between the Tongva and um, indigenous communities further inland, and then those trade routes would, would stretch halfway across the continent. So even before the arrival of Europeans, it was like a very connected place. It's interesting, I wonder if you've heard this, This is this. there's this LA in a minute guy yeah. on the social media who says that he has some maps that show that our freeways follow I mean, that would make sense, yeah, because like, Roads are put in From geographic past, areas, yeah. right? Where, where you can get through. You don't yeah. put it over the top of the mountain. You right. put it over the low <laughs> so, point. Yeah, yeah, um, so yeah. those trade routes like mm -hmm. are are ancient and and now covered by freeways. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the Spanish Spanish Empire is worried, and um, they didn't particularly want to empower the the Catholic Church, particularly the Franciscans, but they wanted permanent settlements in Southern California. So they give approval to the Franciscans to start a, a system of missions. So, I see. Uh, can, you know, with the goal of settlement and conversion to Catholicism of native people. So that's where we get, starting in 1769, this series of missions from San Diego along the coast all the way north. And the one that's closest to what would become Los Angeles is San Gabriel Mission. Oh, really? I don't think I realized that. Yeah, founded 1771. Huh. Well, I'm very curious to know, like, who were because I think there's this assumption that we all know who the Pobladores were, but I don't think a lot of people actually do know who they were. So, who were the Pobladores? Because I know you just mentioned that there were already indigenous people here, and what's interesting is some of the Pobladores were actually indigenous people as well. So, who were the Pobladores? Right. So, they were mostly from northern Mexico. Um, they were mixed race, so um, indigenous, Spanish, and African. Um, they were like lower to middle class. So part of, you know, walking from northern Mexico <laughs> to what would become Los Angeles was a risk that, especially in the mid 18th century. Um, so, you know, people who had some incentive to come were looking for economic and social opportunities. And so they're recruited by um, the Franciscans go to the Spanish crown and they say, you know, in addition to this mission system that we're setting up, we also want civilian settlements here. Like we need mm. trade. We need uh, people who are farmers, <laughs> agriculturalists. <laughs> we need skills, skilled craftspeople. Um, so can you incentivize settlement? And so the about 26 families who literally walk from northern Mexico up into Southern California. Um, we're looking for economic opportunities. And then the incentives included free land, um, uh, supplies for farming, eventually large land grants, um, and then freedom from taxes. They didn't have to pay taxes. So part of the incentive to come was that they could escape their taxes. <laughs> um, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> were they volunteers? California, the they home did. Of, uh, yes, they were volunteers. Los Angeles is the birthplace of Prop 13. So 
That makes sense. <laughs> the roots are deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, um, lower to middle class, and then also you know part of and Esperanza, you can weigh in here as well because I know you are well versed in the history of the, the caste system. But part of the incentive was that kind of race and ethnicity were paired with economics under the Spanish Empire. So if you were born into a lower racial or ethnic caste, um, you could, through economic success, kind of buy your way up this racial system. And and we see that happen. So between the founding of the city in 1781 and then the next census, 1790, you see like more than half the population moved from being described as mulatto to being described as mestizo, which is like the step up on the mm -hmm, Spanish mm -hmm, caste mm -hmm, system. And mm -hmm. that was because they were relatively economic, wow, and ec economically wow. prosperous. So, so Los Angeles not only founded by families of color, it was also founded by working class people. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Okay. How about that? <laughs> What's also interesting, if you look at like the Costa paintings, and I, I've always been really curious about this. When I, when I look at the Costa paintings, in which show you the kind of the hierarchy within that system, there are actually two groups of black people in that system or people of African descent. You see Los Moros, which is at the higher part of that caste system, and you see Los Negros, which are at the lowest part of that caste system. And this group of pobladores, you see um, you see that there are people of African descent within that group. I think that out of the 44 people, there were 26 that were of African descent. Were these people um, part of the enslaved descent or were they part of the Los Moros group? Most likely part of slave descent because the vast majority of people who come to the Americas from Africa were brought as enslaved people. But, you know, the slavery in New Spain looked much different than slavery sure. in the South. Um, it was, and this is not to in any way say that it was better. We're not going to make that kind of value judgment because enslavement period is is horrific, but it was in some ways more flexible. So you um, enslaved peoples in New Spain had the right to own property. They had the right to buy themselves out of their enslavement. Um, and so while the vast majority of people from Africa were bought as enslaved, as slaves to New Spain, there were more windows of opportunity to move out of slavery. Also, slavery was not necessarily an inherited position. So you're enslavement did not necessarily pass to children. I see. So that would be part of the incentive also to be part of this group to come to what we now call America and found be part of the pobladores because this is an opportunity to um, enhance your status. Right. Like you were saying before. Right. Okay. So they were free, likely the descendants of enslaved peoples, free. Um, but then landing in Southern California, um, I think through entrepreneurial skills and hard work, economic success, being able to, you know, that economic success would move you up in the caste system. Mm -hmm. The other thing about Spanish slavery versus English slavery is that Spanish slavery in the colonies at least encouraged mixing between native people, African people, European people. In the United States, you get killed mm -hmm. for that. So it makes sense that a lot of people were mixed race right, um, right. coming yeah. into this, coming into the, the, um, the founding of the city. So I'm curious more about this exhibit and all the people that came to it. Did you all offer talks there? How, how were people, how did, were people engaged during that process? Well, Esperanza played a leading role in that <laughs> and, and talk and, about it. And did, did, did LA people actually come or was it tourists and the curious types? From our understanding, it was a mixture of it because um, we definitely developed it the way a museum exhibition also is established. We had um, 
infographics and text, but we also had interactives. And we had a team also that I did lead it um, in which we did educational brochures in order for people to take with them, to kind of do like a scavenger hunt throughout the exhibition, but also to kind of learn the history of El Pueblo around us. Um, one of the great benefits about this is that we were at the front where El Pueblo is and where the Pico House is, which is um, a property that was owned by the last Mexican governor, who was Pio Pico, who was also a mixture of African, indigenous and Mexican ancestry. So a lot of people were just kind of thrilled to be in the space. But then they realized, oh, wait a minute, there's an exhibition. It's active. Um, and, and a lot of the times it's being used for uh, photography or for shooting or something else um, through El Pueblo. But this exhibition really gave people an understanding that um, there's a plaque right in front of El Pueblo, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's just a couple of people. It's a whole history that has been hidden away um, because when the U.S. became um, this territory after 1848, that history just kind of got, um, I wouldn't say erased, but it got definitely covered up and, and not shown. So this exhibition really highlighted uh, that opportunity to learn more information. And what do you all think needs to be done on this question? Because I'm a student of black history generally, but especially Los Angeles, because I'm an Angelino. Uh, I went to an HBCU and there's like volumes on Chicago, Philadelphia, York. I, I mean, all the cities, very, very little on, very, very little on LA. In fact, you get more history of black LA from reading the copies of the California Eagle than you do from most textbooks that I've come across. There's that saying that LA is a city with no history, or it's yeah, the place where, yeah. like, where people want to reinvent themselves and where yeah, the city itself yeah. reinvents itself. And we tear down old stuff all the mm -hmm, time. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you know, and there isn't any. You know, the Natural History Museum has a great exhibit becoming LA, but there's no, um, there's no sort of centralized museum dedicated to the history of the city. So, mm -hmm. um, in some ways, the past is ephemeral. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, there are discussions to tear down the Staples Center because it's an old, you know, stadium. Oh, that makes me feel old. I remember when it was built. Me too. Yeah, it was exactly. Like, it was built. It opened, <laughs> right. yeah. it opened in the fall of 1999. Yeah. But that's, it, but that's, it's very LA. Like the idea that we would keep a building for a long time, like the Coliseum, like it just doesn't. Right. Um, I, it I just also, doesn't happen. I also find it interesting that your exhibit is titled Hidden History. Why do you think it's hidden? I mean, I don't, as Bronze, you sure. can tell it, but um, I think I'm a, I have a PhD in history. I wrote about the history <laughs> of LA, but it wasn't like, that was a period I hadn't given a lot of thought to. And I think 100% of the students in the class were from Southern California. And when we tackled this project, I don't think anybody had, anybody knew what we were, mm -hmm. like the origins of the city, the fact that, you know, whilst LA is one of the most diverse places in the world now, it started that way in 1781. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's sort of this past that's hidden in plain sight. Yes, exactly. And it's something that that word was so important to have there through all those students that we were, we kind of did a, a poll. Do you remember we were all kind of doing little mashups of uh, yeah, words to put it together? the title. Yes. And we finally got to that point where we're like, no, we need to mention that this is hidden because the problem is that even in our own curriculum here in California, you learn a lot of this history in college because you are being asked to take um, an ethnic class, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're a history major, you kind of dive further into it if you're interested. But even within our own curriculums, and even Siobhan also brought this up in our discussion, is this information is, isn't really out there. 
for historians, we're able to find this information. We have access to this, but a lot of people don't. And it's very important to start putting that not only in our curriculum, but also um, as young as middle school, because I, I mean, excuse me, elementary, because right now we learn about the California missions, but we don't know the history behind it. Um, so it was important to write the hidden word onto it so people understood it's there. It's always been there. But unfortunately, when the U.S. really did take over, and I think Dr. Um, William Deverell did write a book about how this history has been whitewashed. Because yeah. even um, at La Plaza, we talk about Governor Pio Pico. If you look at old photographs or old paintings, he is painted as though he's white. But oh, if really? You, yes. But if you look at his photographs and you look um, as he progressed to get older, you look at him and he is an African-American man mm -hmm. and an indigenous man. You see the roots in it. But yeah. that information was really hidden by the U.S. because they couldn't understand how a prominent uh, black and indigenous man is in this position of power. Right. Um, and right. along with everyone else, they, they mm -hmm. just didn't understand mm -hmm. that because they're used to only white uh, wealthy men being in power. I think that's a really good point. And also, I was just like, I have been thinking about this for a while now, how just black history in general, especially on the West Coast, I think a lot of our history pretty much only starts, at least how I've been taught it, really only starts with the second wave of the Great Migration. You don't really hear black history on, in California um, until that point, at least I didn't really learn much about the black about black history in the West Coast until the second wave of the Great Migration. And sometimes you get the history of black people here after the Civil War, but you really never get black history as far as the founding of Los Angeles or the founders um, or people who've been here um, even during the time that it was called, you know, Mexico was New Spain. Like you don't even hear anything about that history. And I think it's really um, great that you guys did this project. The sad part is when you try to even research your um, exhibit, um, Forgotten Founders, the Hidden African Ancestry of Los Angeles. When I was researching it, I can't even find the exhibit. I literally had to find articles about how you had this great exhibit. And those articles were written in 2016. Mm -hmm. So I can't even find the exhibit anymore. So Yeah, I, you know, I think there were, it was such a moment of opportunity, but then we didn't document it as well as we should have given that we're historians. Oh, wow. <laughs> but wow. because we had this space, this temporary space at the Pico House, which was historic and was tied to the story we were telling about the ad you know, the African roots of the founding of the city of Los Angeles. Um, but because it was temporary, it got to be completely student driven. So we weren't, oh, it wasn't a permanent I exhibit see. in I a see. museum led by a curator, like a staff curator with a little bit of student involvement. It was completely conceptualized, researched, written, designed by the students. And so I think had it been in a permanent place, mm -hmm. probably students wouldn't have been able to play that role. Like they did the entire project from the ground up themselves. And that was, I think, mm -hmm. unusual. Um, Oh, definitely. Yeah. I can attest to that uh, as a <laughs> curator now, because uh, it, it's true. It was undergraduate students and five graduate students doing this okay. work along with Dr. Uh, Jessica Kim as well. I and uh, we had a semester to get the students ready to do this work. And then uh, that was the fall of 2015. And then in the spring of 2016, that's when the exhibition opened in February. But yeah, I just like... I can't think of another time in Los Angeles where such a big exhibition, even though it wasn't permanent, like, had such a huge audience and was 100% created by students. Like, yeah, that's incredible. amazing. I don't, uh, I, 
I read that, but I didn't really read that. Like, I, it sounds like you're talking about much more than token involvement, like actual formation of what it should be. That's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it was perceived by students or uh, or folks who are amateurs um, because of that uh, aspect. What do you recommend to people? Somebody comes up to you and says, I want to learn about black history in LA and in the founding of LA, where do you tell them to go read, watch Mm -hmm. Um, YouTube channel? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you want to be nerdy, you should read Seeking El Dorado by Lawrence DeGraff because that's kind of the seminal work on early African-American history in in California. Um, If you want to read fiction, I say read Walter Mosley. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Um, Yeah. That that easy Rollins is like what? Nine, 12 books. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, they're so meticulously, I mean, it's fiction, but it's, they're so meticulously researched and like, really you get this sense of like, what is South LA and the Mm -hmm. world war two era Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just they're beautiful. Definitely. Uh, for me, I'm going to plug in a professor that I also worked with that season, uh, Professor Joshua Side, City Limits. He talks about uh, Black and African American history in Los Angeles from the West Adams District all the way down to South LA. So that's one of the books that I would recommend. But also South of Pico, which is um, yes. by yeah. Kelly Jones, because mm-hmm. she's also an art historian, but also a curator. Yeah. Um, and I think it's fascinating that she's done all this work um, and also published this book because it's so important to talk about the civil rights movement, but also the art that came about it as well. Um, and I would also recommend two other places, uh, California African American Museum, for mm-hmm, sure, mm-hmm. Um, especially because it is a free institution um, for people to see that. And they have amazing public programs as well. But also I would plug in La Plaza as well. We did <laughs> an exhibition called Afro Latinidad in uh, 2020, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic closed it, but we made it available online virtually and it's still there. Uh, and this exhibition was curated by Mariah Berlong Shevchuk and also by Walter Thom- Thompson Hernandez as well. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, and and was, that's there now? Uh, so it's not physically there any okay. longer because we, we had to uh, change the temporary exhibition. But in t- uh, it's up there virtually. So people can actually use Matterport, which is usually used by um, locations for renting or for buying homes for you to kind of get a virtual tour of your home. Mm-hmm. We have that for the exhibition because um, as we learned later on, at La Plaza is that a lot of the physical spaces, once they're gone, they're gone. And there's no way for us to kind of have a catalog or publication sometimes. So our virtual exhibitions is one way for people to kind of get that history as much as possible if they're able to. All right. right. Go to Biddy Mason Park, too. Biddy Mason Park. Now, now, Biddy Mason Park, the downtown, because I feel like they're two, so it's it's a downtown one. Um, So interesting. So can you guys unravel this? Biddy Mason is not one of the Pobladores. No. Yeah. No. But uh, and I was like, that doesn't time doesn't match. Oh no! I just <laughs> made I just made for your broader question for about like we, yeah okay, for for okay. the Black History okay. of LA. I, I feel like it's such you know because it's tucked away and a lot of people don't know that it's there. But she it's it's, in a she was homies place. with Pio Pico. I did find that. Yeah. That was her home. They kick it. Yeah. I do know that. Yeah. <laughs> and I just read that she was the first physician for the LA County Jail System. Yep. I did not know that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You just yep. put me on. I love <laughs> I st- like Biddy Mason those people that I study all the time and I did not know that. I will see this well, while I'm talking about. Biddy Mason to me is the consummate Angelino because LA is very much a city about even now, it's a very much a city of if you can do it, we'll accept you. You know, you can 
if you come here and you want to be a doctor, as long as you make people well, we'll go. We'll all go along with it. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not gonna ask where you went to 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 medical school, medical school, or whatever it is. And if you know whatever you want to be or do, you can you can do that. I I uh, remember this story by Cat Williams, the comedian. He's a famous comedian. He's from St. Louis, and he says, you know, I had jokes and I would do comedy there, and people would always tell him, well, you know. You're whatever his name was. You're not a comedian. You're just a funny guy from the high school. And he's like, he can never break out of that. And he said, I came to LA and I rented an apartment for $300 in Slauson and Crenshaw. And he said, I would just said, decided I was going to change my name. And so he said, my name is Cat Williams. I'm a comedian. And people say, oh, hey, Cat, come, you know, come do some jokes at the thing. And, it, and he's like, and I became Cat Williams that you know now. But he's like, only Los Angeles would have allowed me to do that. Everywhere else would have made me say, I would have had to have some kind of credentials to, you know, or some type of um, currency to give myself credibility. Um, here, like, as long as I kept making people laugh, I got to be whoever I wanted. Well, and actually, I mean, you can go back to the Pobladores for that, right? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. you can think about, like, transforming, like, this transit, Los Angeles being this transformative place. I was looking at some of the individuals we highlighted in the exhibition and um and like all the ones i'm going to mention right now were of mixed african ancestry mm -hmm. but um luis quintero his granddaughter gets the land grant for beverly hills so it's yeah. chavon asked this question she's like can we still find like these, yeah can we find these families in la so you know one of those families ends up getting the land grant for beverly hills um juan reyes was also Mixed African ancestry becomes the first mayor of mm -hmm. LA. He wow. gets he gets the first major land grant in Southern California, which is mm -hmm. most of the San Fernando Valley. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's just I think you can find traces. Like even the people come here and reinvent themselves, and then yeah. sometimes those stories get lost. You can yeah, still find yeah. Those. Well, and also because a lot of times the people doing the reinventing don't want you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want you to know the uh, the original uh, story. Um, so uh, we have to wrap up now, and so we have something called lightning round, and there are two of you. Uh, so I think I'm going to uh, ask Siobhan to do the lightning round. The rules are she's going to ask a question. You get to take just one beat, and you have to answer. We're making a list uh, that we'll make available to the public about these people, places, and things over time. So there you go. Okay. This is my first time doing this. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So... Favorite song that represents South LA? So I'm gonna say Montel Jordan. This is how we do it. <laughs> nice. Love RB and Soul, um, which I actually didn't realize he was talking about South LA until really? um, a couple years ago because I I listened to this when I was like a child, but yeah. I danced to the songs all the time. Mm -hmm. So I actually looked at the lyrics and I went, oh, he's talking about South Central LA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> South Central does it like nobody does. Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, I'd say Jurassic 5 influence, especially you gotta watch the video because the music videos yeah. film like all, I mean, it's just, it's like classic South. I love yeah, that's it. That's the album that's called LAUSD, right? Oh man, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it's the LAUSD <laughs> album. Good. All right. Good one. Just, somebody's giving a Jurassic Five. That's deep crates. <laughs> you speak in his language. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so, favorite book or documentary about South LA? So it's the one I mentioned earlier. I love I love Walter Mosley. I love mm -hmm. Rollins. I love 
historical fiction. I love a good mystery. So this whole collection. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I would go with South of Pico by Kelly mm -hmm. Jones just because I love public art, but also because she talked about so many different artists that are um, influenced so many other artists here in South LA. So it's I love it. Mm -hmm. You're going to be excited about Destination Crenshaw. You really yeah, are. I you think really you are. are. Yeah. I guess. Especially since you're a curator. Yes. <laughs> All right. Something you wish more people knew about South LA. So I've lived in all parts of the city. I lived on the west side. I've lived on the east side. I lived in Silver Lake. I lived in Koreatown. And I live in South LA now, and it is the friendliest neighborhood I have ever lived in. Wow. Like, you know, nowhere else when you walk down the street do people stop, make eye contact, smile, and say good morning. Really? Um, and I, I'll give one story. Like, neighbor blocked down when my son was a baby she was older sadly she's since passed but in the neighborhood she was just granny everybody called her granny and she would sit at her front window and wait for us to walk by because she loved babies and mm -hmm. then when she saw us through her window she would come out and talk and it's like i've never lived in a neighborhood in la that's like that it's so interesting because i live in south la too uh, and this is giving you uh, time to think esperanza but i live in south la too and what's interesting is the neighborhood universally dislikes people who don't speak that is like so they true. get together and talk about it. And I'm always like, well, they're just walking their dog. Like, why don't they have to talk to you? Why you can't say hi? Right, yeah, no, totally. Like, it's like, leave him, like he's walking his dog. It might be his time to meditate. Leave him alone. But yeah. No, you got to no, stop and say hello. Yes, no, it's very, very important culturally. Esperanza? Mm -hmm. uh, all the different art galleries that are here and all the mm -hmm. cultural centers, I think the one that I'm more excited about is Band of Isis, um, which I yep. just got to know a couple years was Mark Bradford yep. who created it, mm -hmm. only because I grew up with public murals all over LA and, mm -hmm. and South LA was very important. Mm -hmm. You really are a West Adams baby. You yes, I am, I am. Like West Adams all the way. Yeah, but you know what? For that reason, this is how I got involved in history yeah. because all these homes that are here yes, in South LA, yes. you see little bungalows, you see mansions, you see apartment buildings, everything's here. Yeah, so that's right. It's incredible. That's right. That's right. Shout out to West Adams. I went to Manuel though. Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listen, we want to thank Jessica and Esperanza for being with us today and for doing the work and spending your time and energy and expertise uh, telling this important story about the city of Los Angeles and making it accessible to everybody, uh, putting it at in a place where all of us can get to it. Uh, a lot of times there's really great information, but it's not accessible to folks. So thank you all for that work. Uh, please let us know if there's anything we should be looking out for that you guys have coming up or that we should uh, be waiting for uh, in the coming months or years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would always say I'm plugging in again my institution, but please, La Plaza Cultura y Artes is a yes. free institution. Uh, but is. also El Pueblo and um, California African American Museum and the Underground Museum. I yep. think everyone yep. should explore all places where you're able to, especially if they're free. Yep. Yep. That's right. And all of those places are free and they're always open. And occasionally we have free museum days. So there's no excuse. And you can get really cool gear in Alvera Street. <laughs> Good food. Me too. Excellent. Well, thank you all for being with us on uh, MHD Off The Record. Thank you for listening to MHD Off The Record. And special thank you to Felicia the Poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Lamert Park. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.